My name is Josh. I'm speaking to you from PAC Studios in South Bend, Indiana, the host of We the Peace. We the Peace is a podcast sponsored by PAX, dedicated to mobilizing Christian leaders to bring Jesus-centered peacemaking and justice into our organizations. We explore how peacemaking, activism, and the justice of Jesus are central to discipleship. We the church are we the peace in a hurting and violent world. In season two, we explore how Christian leaders can develop a Jesus-centered outlook on politics. What does Jesus have to do with politics? How does the kingship of Jesus impact our understanding of modern politics? In what way is the church a political institution? We will define politics, walk through the four Christian views on politics, and then look to the ministry of Jesus for how Christians are to relate to and mobilize politically. Let's jump into this week's episode. I can't wait for you to hear the guests we have for this season. First, let me let you know the structure of season two. So Jesus-Centered Politics, episode one, what is politics? I will define politics and give a brief biblical foundation on why, how humans are political. Episode two, the politics of Jesus, Jesus as king. I will express how Jesus is not only a religious leader, but a political Leader. Episode three, the politics of Jesus. I will show how the kingship of Jesus is central to our political vocation as disciples of Jesus. Episode four, political engagement, four views. I will give an overview of three core views and offer the fourth as a solution for the church. Then I'll transition into the, some interviews for this season. We've got a great lineup. Episode 10 is a question and answer session where I'll be answering questions that are sent in. Send a direct message to our Instagram, Made for Packs, or Facebook, or email us at wethepeace at madeforpacks.org. Lastly, episode 10 is advanced discussion where I will cover big issues related to political theology and political engagement. Now to episode one. What is politics? Before I get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about my spiritual heritage. I grew up in a Reformed-ish church, conservative churches from Dallas, Texas to outside Seattle, Washington. These churches were fairly typical Baptist churches that found their theological home somewhere in Reformation theology without all the liturgical stuff neo-reformed or what i like to call like reformation light basically the bud light of calvinism then add like voting for senior pastors which it's confusing how we get there but we're american so amidst high quality southern type preaching programs and building projects i learned that the gospel related to your personal life your home life your weekend and some of your free time that you would spend at church events and choir of course Short-term mission trips were also a big deal. I also learned that Jesus was a patriot because we sang patriotic songs on holidays, had U.S. flags in the sanctuary, in fact, more flags than crosses, and always clapped for U.S. soldiers on Veterans Day. People stood up, we clapped, 
Besides Jesus being a patriot that supported the United States, God was ambivalent towards politics beyond this overt American patriotism. My spiritual heritage taught me that politics was not a topic for churches. Jesus was our savior. He liked America. Jesus was somehow white and we sang about him as king, but that is where things stopped. I never, ever heard about politics in relation to the gospel. That was until I was 18 years old. I was sitting in the multi-purpose gym with 800 church folks on Sunday, two weeks before the presidential election, around 2004. The associate pastor came up on stage to introduce a politician from Texas who had worked alongside George Bush while he was governor. This guy came up after we clapped to give a speech and enter into a question and answer time talking about how godly George Bush is. He talked about the Republican platform and how supportive Bush was of the white nuclear family system. It, to be honest, felt really weird the whole time. By the end of the service, half of the musical worship time, all of the preaching time, the fellowship time, and a bunch of money was spent to get this guy to tell the church to vote for Bush. Here is the imagination that is being created for me as a young follower of Jesus. Jesus related to politics as a promoter of a American party, a white male Republican. I learned that Jesus was primarily looking to get this man into a major position of power in order to bring the morals of the Christian faith, not just into America, but the world. This was the marriage of the United States to the Republican Party, to power, to the church, to the cross that was behind this Bush official to world peace somehow. And as an 18-year-old kid, I felt wrong about what I was listening to. Something in my spirit was way off. I also felt patronized because at the end of the sermon, the pastor came up to pray for this Bush staffer and then told us after praising Bush like a worship song that the church was not making an endorsement for Bush as president. I thought as an arrogant 18-year-old kid, how dumb do you think we are? And on display, I am seeing a political theology being formed in the life and mind of the people that are there. An unholy marriage of church, state, cross, sword, democracy, freedom, republicanism, liberty, sacrifice, and of course, war. This was the result of a diseased theology. I'm borrowing this language from Dr. Willie Jennings. Pick up the book, read it, The Christian Imagination. A diseased political theology, though this church represented the most popular view of Christian politics among white people in America. So this season, the goal 
is for us to offer a more faithful political theology and orthopraxy embodied expression for churches and leaders in North America that look out over the political landscape and recognize that something is wrong. This season is for those of you who are instinctively knowing that the two-party system, the experiment of the United States, and the way majority culture Christians engage in politics is diseased, is not healthy. So let's move to define politics. Then I'll show how politics is a natural outworking of culture. I'll have some reflection questions for you as a leader, and then I'll end with a resource to get you started. I'll start with culture and then move to politics. So culture is shared values, morals, and stories. Politics is one of the primary ways we organize around these values, morals, and stories. When you get enough people together in one place that share enough values and stories, humans naturally build political systems. In fact, because humans have been made in the image of God, we can't not creatively solve problems together through politics. Said another way, Humans express their humanity and culture through building political systems, big and small. Politics, put simply, is the public good. So a Christian definition of politics would be something like this. Human-made systems of power or government, whether centralized or decentralized, that ought to promote human flourishing. Politics is the public good. If you want to learn more about human flourishing, I'll send you to madeforpacks.org backslash foundations or scroll to the bottom of the site, click on foundations and read the story of Pax. That's a great starting place to begin building your imagination towards Jesus-centered human flourishing. Again, politics can be defined as human-made systems of power, government, whether centralized or decentralized, that ought to promote human flourishing. Before I show how God and humans are fundamentally political, let's make some observations about this definition. I'll put them in question form. This is important. Just because the definition seems pretty straightforward does not mean it's easy to execute. And actually, ideology teaches us that politics are easy to execute, and they're not. My definition says that Humans make political systems. Question one, which humans from a given society get to create the system? My definition says that political systems are embedded with and use power. Think of the government making you wear a seatbelt, freeze your bank account, tax you, creating a draft. Question two, what types of power should the government have and under what circumstances should they use that power? Question three, from my definition, in what ways should the political system be centralized or decentralized? This is not easy to answer. And finally, my definition says that the entire point of the whole experiment of politics is to promote human flourishing. Question four, what is human flourishing and how do we achieve it? What moral system, what God, what guru, what society, what social contract, what cultural values decide what human flourishing is? 
These hard questions show us just how complex governing and politics can be. These are really hard questions to answer in a coherent way, and it shows us the challenge of developing a Jesus-shaped politics. Jesus, for us in the 21st century, determines what human flourishing is and shows us how to actualize it. Jesus is the one, the word that shows us through his life, ministry, teaching, example, death, resurrection, how to promote human flourishing through his theopolitical way of life. The politics of Jesus clarify for us how we are to be political in the United States, full stop. So in this opening episode on Jesus-centered politics, I want to draw out two biblical truths that will serve as our foundation. You, your leaders, and those you lead need to know these, and if you already do, we need to figure out how they impact our ministries. So number one, God is a political being fully concerned with the public good of not just humans, but the cosmos. This is obvious for those who are familiar with the scriptures. God comes to reveal himself to humans in the Old Testament as a personal religio-political reality. So he cares about you personally. He's come to organize around we relate to him religion and then also a political reality. In the Exodus, though we learn much about God before the Exodus, it is in this story that God introduces God's self to the world and to his people, Exodus 1 through 12. God told Pharaoh that he did all that he did to show you my power and to make my name resound through all the earth, Exodus 9, 16. The I am that showed up to Moses in the burning bush is the one holding a political office of king confronting the religious and the political powers in the Egyptian empire and is deeply enmeshed in the work of liberating his people from slavery and sin. How did he do this? Just looking at the final plague of Exodus 12, the destroyer ended up killing the firstborn children of Egypt and Goshen. In this, we see God offering social liberation leaving Goshen for the promised land, spiritual liberation, forgiveness of sin through the blood of the lamb, and political liberation, disgracing the gods of Egypt, shaming Pharaoh, establishing new theopolitical liturgies like the Passover meal. God reveals God's self as a political being that is offering a gospel of socio-spiritual salvation. Just keep in mind as my argument builds that God never in the whole of scripture, this is an argument from silence, says, I am a political king, but you are not a political people. In fact, it's completely the opposite, spanning the old to the new Testament. So that's number one. Number two, all humans are political beings. We are political beings in three ways. You are political by virtue of one, being made in the image of a political God. 
Here in the West, we've been drowning in the Descartes notion that I think, therefore I am, as if we can self-actualize and self-determine our meaning and our purpose. It's very Western, it's very American, it's very individualistic. So if I don't think or want my faith to be political, and if I don't want to be a political follower of Jesus or a political being to begin with, we say, I think I am not political, therefore I'm not political. But this is wrong. A Christian rendering of Descartes' philosophical assumption is God spoke, God created, therefore I am. You are inherently political. Two, humans are political by virtue of doing the things God has put into the human heart, the desire to see the world flourish. We have been made in the image of a political God to reflect God's politics as we engage in the work of promoting human flourishing. Why can't we help building political systems as humans? We organize out of our design to see humanity succeed, grow, and find the love of God. Often we fail, and we have failed miserably. But you, nonetheless, are put here to take part in these political systems. And we can't help but do it. Three, you are political by virtue of your connectivity to everything around you. To improve again on Descartes, God spoke, God created, therefore, we are. Humans cannot disassociate themselves from the ground, the waves, the dirt, the chair, the apartment, the sky, this basement, the animals, the streets, the rain, our fellow humans, or the systems that we have created. You cannot emancipate yourself from politics any more than you can emancipate yourself from God or from your biological family. To say you are not a political being is to act like a floating spirit, a Gnostic soul hovering above the ground. God has made you involved in everything that surrounds you. If politics is the public good, then you can't emancipate yourself from the public good. And even if you try, you are going to end up creating smaller political systems in isolation from whatever you're trying to run from. So episode one, a Jesus-centered definition of politics would be human-made systems of power, government, whether centralized or decentralized, that ought to promote human flourishing. Politics is public good. I asked four questions that show how hard the process of governing and politicking is. Then the two main biblical points to be our foundation. One, God revealed God's self to be political. Two, God created us as embodied political creatures. God did this in three ways. One, you are made in the image of a political God. You cannot run from this too. We can't help but try to see the world flourish politically. And three, humans are political by virtue of their constant and enduring connectivity to everything around them. This is an important foundation as you seek to adopt a Jesus-centered politics. So basically, you can't not be political. 
And this is a good thing, for God cares about the public good of the cosmos, land, water, air, earth, and human lives. Next week, we're going to dive right into the politics of Jesus. But before I let you go, I have a few reflection questions for your own leadership setting. These questions are for you and for those that you lead. Reflection questions. What is your political imagination as a Christian leader? How and where was this political imagination formed? Was it theology or history or church experience or personal experience? If it is true that humans are inherently political creatures, what are the implications of this in your church? What does your own leadership setting claim to be true about God's politics? Lastly, what about the United States politics makes it difficult to talk about politics in a peaceful way? If you have a question for us on this season's topic, send a direct message, follow us on Instagram, or email us at wethepeace at madeforpacks.org. We will dedicate a full episode to answer some of those questions. For further learning, uh, we would encourage you to read Richard Bachman's The Bible and Politics, How to Read the Bible Politically. And I want to circle back as I end with my opening story that if we believe that God is fundamentally political, and if we believe that we are fundamentally political creatures, we cannot ignore that as we go about church and then somehow adopt a pagan, nationalistic politics into the church when it comes election season. That's awkward, it's unbiblical, it's wrong, and we have to have a more robust Christian political theology and Christian imagination as we go about creating a Jesus-centered politics. This is We the Peace.